good morning, everyone. How y'all doing? Good, good. All right, well, hey, if I haven't met you yet, my name is Nick. I'm one of the pastors here. And uh, today we're going to be continuing our series uh, going through the Gospel of Mark entitled Journey with Jesus, where we're not just looking at the life of Christ in uh, Mark's Gospel, but we're also looking at the journey that Christ invites his followers to join him on. So today we're going to be in Mark 5, verses 1 through 20. If you have your Bibles, uh, open them up or turn them on if you need a Bible. we got Bibles in the center aisle. Feel free to uh, ask someone to hand one of those to you. Uh, and uh, what we see in our text this morning is we encounter a man who was completely and utterly without hope. There was nothing that he could do, and there was nothing that anybody else could do to, to set him free from the bondage uh, and, the, and the slavery that he was in. That is until he met Jesus. And so my hope this morning as we journey through this text uh, together uh, is, that, is that we would just recognize and trust that uh, there is no sin so great no addiction so enslaving, no demonic stronghold in our lives so binding that it's out of the liberating grasp of Jesus Christ, that our Savior has the power to save, that our, our Savior is mighty to save, and there's nothing he can, uh, that he can't overcome in our lives. And so uh, with that said, let's pray. And uh, we got a lot of ground to cover, so we're going to kind of journey through this together. Here we go. Heavenly Father, we thank you, Lord, uh, for the beautiful, beautiful day that you have made. Uh, we rejoice and we're so glad in that. Thank you, Lord. It's a, it's a glimpse of what is to come. So thank you, Lord, for that. May we be found grateful uh, for you, for your church, for your word, uh, just being able to, to worship you. Uh, so thank you, Lord. You are so great and you are so good to us. Uh, and, and I pray now, uh, Spirit, that, that you would come in power, uh, that you would speak through me, uh, that you'd minister to the hearts uh, and to the minds of those present here, soften their hearts, stir our affections for you, and would you break chains of bondage and addiction here uh, this morning as only you can. So, Spirit, magnify your son, Jesus. May he increase, may I decrease. We pray this in your name. Amen. All right, verse 1, here we go. They came to the other side of the sea, to the country of the Gerasenes. So we're going to stop right there. Last week, if you were here, Saju preached a phenomenal sermon on Jesus calming the storm. If you haven't listened to that, make sure you go back and listen to that uh, on the podcast online. Uh, but you all know the story, but, but what's important for us to remember is the context of where we're at here. So the beginning of that passage, the one immediately uh, leading up to the one we're in today, Jesus starts out, and, and they're on the west side of the Sea of Galilee, and Jesus says, let's go to the other side of the sea. We're going to go to the east side of the sea. And you all know the story, a great storm uh, uh, comes upon them, muddy winds and waves, the disciples are freaking out. They go to Jesus and say, don't you even care about us? Wake up. And Jesus cools a cucumber, just looks at the waves and the, and the wind says, peace, be still. And everything just, whew, water is uh, as calm as glass. And he looks at the disciples and it's so interesting. He says, why are you so afraid? Where's your faith? Did you not hear what I just said? I said, hey, fellas, I said we're going to the other side of the lake. If I say we're going to the other side of the lake, we're going to the other side of the lake. You got to take me at my word. You take that to the bank. I don't care what. I don't care about winds. I don't care about waves. I don't care about a storm. You take your, our Savior at His word, and that's and that was the challenge to the disciples. There, where's your faith? And so Jesus here in the region of the Gerasenes, any first century Israelite reading this or encountering this story would immediately know: Whoa, Jesus is going into Gentile territory. That this is a deliberate, calculated step that Jesus is making to Gentile territory. This isn't Gilligan's Island. Uh, this, isn't, this isn't, oh my gosh, we're lost at sea, and then we land here at the region of Gerasenes. No, Jesus, Jesus says, we're going to the other side of the sea. This gospel, this good news of victory and salvation is for people of every tribe, every tongue, every nation. And the people of, uh, of Israel, the people of God, the Israelites would be saying, well, those are, those are the unclean people. 
Those are the people we keep our distance from. Those are not the people of God. And Jesus says, that's where I'm going. And in Mark's gospel, this is one of the first instances we see of that gospel breaking, uh, breaking kind of out of the bonds of Judaism, if you will, and, and going to the ends of the earth, the region of the Gerasenes. And uh, the passage continues in verse 2. And when Jesus had stepped out of the boat, immediately there met uh, him uh, out of the tombs uh, a man with uh, an unclean spirit. He lived among the tombs, and no one could bind him anymore, not even with the chain. For he had often been bound with shackles and chains, but he had wrenched the chains apart, and he broke the shackles in pieces. No one had the strength to subdue him. Night and day among the tombs and on the mountains, he was crying out and cutting himself with stones. And so the picture we get here is the second they arrive at shore, or they're introduced to someone. A dude doesn't have uh, balloons and, and a parade and a welcome party. It's, uh, it's a crazy guy from the caves who came running down. He's possessed by demons. And what's interesting here is Mark kind of gives us snapshots. One of Mark's gospels is one of the shortest gospels we have and uh, uh, gives us like a, a picture, if you will. And here he goes like, at like five verses to describe this man. And some of the things he, he says are kind of remarkable. This guy was living amongst the dead in the mountains, right? 2,000 years ago, if you call your home like uh, the, the, the tomb around dead carcasses and, and, and dead people, that's creepy, right? In the 21st century, that's still creepy. If you know a guy who lives in a graveyard and camps out at a graveyard, it's a weird dude, okay? Keep your distance, all right? He's creepy, eerie. Too. Well, why are you living amongst the dead in caves? Dude, that's just terrifying stuff. But again, going back to uh, the first century, first, first century Israelite hearing this story would immediately say, this guy is in an unclean land amongst unclean people who are uh, uh, swine herders, and, and, and this guy is unclean now because he's coming into contact with the dead. This would, this would separate him. He'd be, he'd be uh, uh, ritually, ceremonially unclean and therefore separated from God, separated from God's people. And unless he went about purifying himself, that would be his, his plight, separation, separation. And that's what we see in that community. He was isolated to uh, the hillside. And not only that, Mark, uh, the way Mark describes him, it's almost like this guy's a rabid dog, a, a wild beast of a man who is, uh, who is uh, harm, harming himself and was a danger to society. And so I think people had good intentions, and I think people were just like, this guy's crazy. He's out of his mind. Everything that we've done has not worked. We got to just control him. We have to chain him. We have to bind him. And the guy was so, there's so much demonic bondage in that guy's life that you see the hatred and the violence towards himself, right? And then also the power that he had to wrench out of chains at probably great harm to himself. You can't, you can't break free from, from chains and shackles without causing great harm to yourself. So this guy was just uh, a mess. And verse 5, man, verse 5 is, is really, it really kind of hits it home here. It says, night and day among the tombs and on the mountains, he was always crying out and cutting himself with stones. If you've ever been camping in the wilderness, and you have that bonfire late at night, you can't really see anything in the woods, and out of, out of nowhere you hear these howls from the coyotes. It's an eerie terrifying feeling. All of a sudden, everyone just kind of oh, straightens up. There's some wild beasts out there, right? Now, imagine you're, uh, uh, when Jesus arrives at the, the region of the Gerasenes, uh, what scholars uh, believe is that there was actually this small town right on the shoreline called Gerasa. And just south of that uh, shoreline was this really steep embankment, and a couple miles uh, to the east of that town were these mountainous uh, limestone uh, caves, if you will, hillside. And uh, imagine, long day at work, you come back uh, uh, from, from swine herding to your backyard. You have a bonfire. You invite all your friends over. You're passing around the wineskin, and out of nowhere, you hear this crazy man howling and shrieking from the mountainside. 
And, and, and one, that'd be terrifying, but two, it'd be heartbreaking too, because I think as he's shrieking and, and he's yelling, I'm sure he's yelling for help too, and for agony. I, saying, saying, someone please come and help me. I mean, terrifying. Uh, this, is, this is the story you would, you would tell your kids if they wouldn't eat dinner, you know? You'd, hey, you better eat dinner. You're, you hear that guy screaming? Like, you know, go, go make your bed. Um, and one scholar suggests that this guy was actually, uh, when I said what it says here in verse 5, I won't go into too much detail, but says that this guy was just trying to end his life. He was so miserable. Uh, nothing he could do could, to, could, he could, do could, could uh, set him free from this. Nothing the townspeople could do was helping. And he's like, well, the only solution is for me to end my life. And that what he's doing here is, is he's attempting to end his life. Uh, that, that, that definitely could be part of it. But what's so important for us to remember, uh, it's so easy for us to just label people, that's the crazy guy in the mountains, just keep your distance and everyone will be fine and happy. What's, what's important for us to remember, church, is that uh, we, we, don't, we don't know this guy's story, but we better believe that he does have a story. That, that, that we, can, we can assume, rightfully so, that he wasn't born in the caves and raised by, you know, demons and dead carcasses, he didn't start out that way. And actually, later on in the narrative, what we, what we find out is that he had a family. He had a home to go back to. He had friends from that town. And so this guy had a story where somewhere along his journey, uh, he either, either things that were done to him or things that he, he did, he opened up certain doors to the demonic. And where he found himself now was in complete, uh, utter hopelessness and powerlessness to overcome uh, what had happened, where he was at. He was stuck. He was hopeless. And this guy's story, before he meets Jesus, this guy's story is a miserable existence, living amongst the dead, uh, tormented day and night by the demonic and by himself, hatred, a posture towards inward, towards himself. Uh, And he'd probably die a miserable death, lonely death. That's his story. That's who this guy is. Until someone like Jesus has compassion and gets close and doesn't come with chains, but comes with the power to break those chains. In verse 6, we continue. And when he saw Jesus from afar, he ran and fell down before him. Real quick here, if you ever see a guy like this running from the caves at you when you arrive on shore somewhere, get back in the boat and run for your life, right? This is what amazes me. You don't see Peter here like saying like, like, hey, Jesus, I think the GPS on the boat was wrong. I think we landed at the wrong town. Like, let's go. Let's get back in the town. No, Jesus, Jesus stands his ground. Jesus almost, uh, you, you get the sense of, you know, the, 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 the lack of, fear and trepidation that Jesus had in the, the storm with the winds and waves. It's, a, it's the same cool, calm, collected authority that Jesus had in this instance when he sees this wild storm, this wild beast of a man running towards him. This guy runs full sprint, falls down before Jesus in verse 7, and crying out with a loud voice, he said, what do you have to do with me, Jesus, son of the most high God? I adjure you by God, do not torment me. And what's interesting here is what Mark said uh, uh, versus prior, is that he had an unclean spirit, that this guy had demonic uh, oppression in his life. And we see the demonic here, which is so interesting, is immediately and accurately identifies who Jesus is. And the disciples, moments prior, are asking after Jesus calms the storms, and they're terrified. They're saying, who then is this Jesus that even the winds and the waves obey? And the demonic comes and says, you are the son of the most, High God. They knew exactly who Jesus was. And the, and the reason that their face, uh, uh, that, the, that, that the demoniac's face is in the dirt, his nose is on the ground at Jesus' feet, because he knows who Jesus is. What we see here is the absolute authority and power that Jesus has. And uh, I think, you know, when we watch 
TV shows or certain movies or whatever, we get this impression that there's a battle, you know, of, of good versus evil. And yes, there's a spiritual battle waging, uh, waging, going on that we need to wage war against, and, and that's waging war against us, and we're going to talk about that in a little bit, but, but the victory's already won. And, and what you see here, you don't see an arm wrestling match between Jesus and, 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 and the demoniac, and you're wondering, all right, let's go, who's going to win? Okay, oh, the demoniac's got power, you know. They, you know. No, there's, there's one guy whose face is on the ground, he's begging for mercy, and there's one guy who's standing up over him. That's, that's the authority Jesus has. That's the power that Jesus has. Uh, 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 we know who wins in the end. The, the war's been won. The battle still rages. And uh, the, 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 the demons in this guy, who are many, they know exactly who this Jesus is. And that is why they're begging for mercy. Because, listen, they know that there is a day of reckoning coming for them. There's a day of, 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 of wrath coming for them. Day of reckoning. Where they're going to be called... Uh, to account for the evil and destruction that they have caused, not just in this guy, but Lord knows uh, uh, where else, destroying those made in the image of God, destroying those uh, that God cares most about. There's a day of reckoning coming, and they're begging Jesus, saying, may this day not be it. Have mercy on us. Do not torment us. And a quick disclaimer, uh, this needs to be said, uh, is uh, given the influence of naturalism, and materialism in that worldview in our culture today, Christians often, uh, 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 we, I guess we, we, we believe we're supernaturalists, but we actually act like naturalists. And what I'm getting at is um, uh, I think there's just some intellectual snobbery in the church today where we encounter stories like this, and we're like, you know what, that kind of stuff doesn't happen anymore. Let's not get carried away. Let's be those smart, rational, intellectual Christians uh, and not those superstitious gullible ones. Okay, yeah, sure, there's some, there's some evil that goes on. There's some bad things that happen, but this guy was just schizophrenic, right? He wasn't really demon-possessed. Well, that's not what Jesus says. Like, like as Christians, like, we trust Christ with our salvation. Are we going to trust that he has an accurate view on the spiritual reality? Are we going to trust him at his word with that? How silly of us. Say, oh, you know, he's schizophrenic. He just, you know, he needed some counseling and, 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 and some modern medicine and all that stuff, and Jesus is casting demons out of this guy. And yet we trust him for his salvation, but we won't take Jesus at his word. How dare we think that we're, we're intellectually superior to Christ when it comes to this? Um, and so what the Bible makes crystal clear is, look, the demonic exists. That there is a spiritual evil that exists. And there are, there are evil angels, fallen angels, who sinned against God and who now continually work evil in the world. And the purpose that they have, which we clearly see in this narrative, is to steal kill and destroy those that uh, God cares about, to mar, to destroy those made in the image of God. And, and, and listen, church, if they oppose the work of Christ, why in the world uh, would we think that they wouldn't attempt to do the same in our lives? See, see, there's a false notion that, oh, Christians can't be possessed. Well, possession is actually a bad word in the New Testament Greek. Uh, it's not necessarily that like a demon overtakes you and then you lose like you know control or whatever. No, it's, it's the the proper rendition would be a demonization, like a, a demonic influence, a demonic oppression. Uh, that that Christians uh, are the target of the enemy, right? And, and Jeff did a phenomenal job in this sermon series uh, tackling this issue. It's called absolute authority. He he did a much better job and he he handled this uh, in much more detail than I'm going to. So listen to that. I believe it was uh, in May. It's called absolute authority. Did a great job on that. But here's what scripture says about a spiritual evil waging war uh, against us. 1 Peter 5, 8 through 9. Be sober-minded. Be watchful. Heads up. Heads up, church. Heads up. Be watchful. 
Your adversary, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion seeking someone to devour. Your devil, what, the devil? Your enemy is trying to kill me? Is trying to eat me? Trying to destroy me? Devour me? Think of the most ferocious beast you can think of in the wilderness. Think of a lion, right? And that's what, that's what Peter is saying, writing to Christians. Ephesians 6, 10 through 12. Finally, be strong in the Lord and in the strength of his might. Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to, listen, stand against the schemes of the devil. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers over this present darkness. Listen, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. There is a war being waged for your soul. It's a spiritual battle. And the problem that we have is we either go to uh, giving uh, this spiritual evil all the credit, you get a flat tire, oh, Satan popped my tire, or, or you give him none of the credit and say, I'm intellectually superior, I don't believe that crazy stuff anymore, I'm the smart, rational Christian. Or you, you obey scripture and you rest under its authority and you listen to the admonition and the exhortation of God's word saying, hey, heads up, hey, your battle is not against flesh and blood. There's, there's something going on behind the scenes of your life. Uh, whether it's in your life or, or the, the, the sins that, that's enslaving those you love or yourself, there might be a spiritual evil behind that. And, and here's the deal, when we recognize that church, when we recognize that, it changes. It changes the way we live. It changes the way we fight. It changes what we watch, what we expose ourselves to. It changes everything. It changes how we pray. And so my challenge would be, let us, sober mind, let us be sober-minded and recognize that our battle is a spiritual battle way before it is a physical battle battle. And oftentimes when it comes to us uh, fighting indwelling sin and fighting things that are enslaving us in our lives, we think it's a battle of flesh and blood. I just need, you know, these, I just got to follow these highly, seven highly effective steps to a better life and not, and just, and, and we'll read a book by somebody else. But when it, when it comes to God's word, it says our battle isn't against flesh and blood. There's a spiritual evil waging war against your soul. Be mindful of that. Be watchful. And that's what we encounter in this text. And his purpose is to destroy you. In verse eight, for he was saying to him, Come out of the man, you unclean spirits. There's clearly a dialogue that Jesus is having with the demonic that's oppressing this guy. And Jesus asked him, what is your name? And he replied, said, my name is Legion, for we are many. What a legion was, was a Roman squadron of roughly 6,000 soldiers. And he's not saying that, that's the exact number of the demonic uh, in that guy's life, but it was, it was a lot. And what's so interesting here is, is, is what uh, uh, the demonic uh, identifies himself as is, is, is when Jesus asked for their identity, they say, Oh, yeah, they didn't say, we're the demonic book club that meets in the cave with that guy you know, on a regular basis. It's not a neutral force. That's what's so funny. When I talk to a lot of non-Christians, uh, they say, oh, I don't, believe, I don't believe in that, but I believe in a spiritual reality. But there's a presupposition that the spiritual reality is neutral, that is good. But you, you look at the world, and there is no neutrality. There's, there's good and there's evil. And the same with how would you not think that in the spiritual realm, where people, people that, that we know and love are talking about opening themselves up to, to spiritual things. And, we're, and, and, and it's dangerous. There's a danger there. And so they identify themselves in military terms. Legion. A uh, Roman legion on mission. They have a mission, right? Y'all are in the military, like 99.9% of y'all. You know this. If you're hanging out with 6,000 troops, you're doing something. There's something going on. And their mission was to destroy this guy. They're waging war. They're, they're marring and destroying the image of God. So it made in the image of God. And before Jesus arrives on the scene, they're doing a great job doing it. This is, this is, what, the, this is what the enemy wants for your life and for mine. Further addiction, further chains, further enslavement, further bondage, isolation from a community. 
and, and, and violence and hatred directed at yourself. That's what the enemy wants. The enemy's having a field day on this guy. Raising the banner, you know, mission accomplished. We're, we're doing a great job. And all of a sudden, Jesus arrives on the scene, and they're like, oh my gosh, this is the day of reckoning. Legion, military, war. There's a war going on. Verse 10, and he begged him earnestly not to send them out of the country. How funny. The demonic here is praying. You, know, you realize that, right? They're, they're pleading. They're begging. They're praying to God. Begging him earnestly not to send them out of the country. Now a great herd of pigs was feeding there on the hillside, and they begged him, saying, send us to the pigs. Let us enter them. And so he gave them permission. And the unclean spirits, what we see here is the unclean spirits came out and entered the pigs and the herd, numbering about 2,000 rushed down the steep bank into the sea and drowned in the sea. And the question that we're all asking, countering this, uh, is why the pigs, Jesus? 2,000 perfectly edible pigs, bacon, all that pulled pork. Why the pigs, man? It's one of the biggest tragedies of this text. Um, It's important for us to realize uh, Jesus Jesus didn't cause that. That was demonic. Jesus allowed it. He allowed it. And what we need to be asking is, well, why did Jesus allow that? What I think here, what's going on is, 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 is as I was studying this and, and praying through this text, is I think what Jesus is doing here, he's saying, he, he's giving the whole region of the Gerasenes a, a tangible, concrete, visible illustration of what the enemy wants for their lives. So you want to know what the enemy wants for your life? Look at the Sea of Galilee right now. 2,000 bloated, dead, stanky corpses floating in the sea. That is your end apart from my intervention in your life. That's what the enemy wants. Can you not smell this? Can you not see this? Does this not horrify you? It's a call to repentance, right? It's a visible illustration. The enemy comes to steal, to kill, to destroy. John 10, 10, Jesus says, I come that you may have life and have it abundantly. Which one do you want? Region of the Gerasenes. Which one do you want? You want, you want that? That's what the enemy wants for you. And you're in just much bondage. You can't see it probably, but as that, as that crazy guy in the cave that I just saved. This is your end apart from me, apart from knowing me, apart from me setting you free from the bondage that you can't even see that you're in. And, and church, how tragic of us in our lives when we deliberately uh, turn from God, a good father, who's been nothing but faithful and steadfast, uh, and his love towards us. And, and like a father holding his child's hand, we, we, we rip our hand from the hand of our father, and, we, and when we sin deliberately, willingly, knowingly, and uh, we need to realize we're not just turning from God, there's someone else with a hand waiting for us. It's the enemy saying, yeah, yeah, let go of God's hand. He's trying to enslave you here. True freedom's over here. Here, grab my hand. Whenever we do that, whenever we willfully turn our backs on God, we're going, we're going with the enemy. He wants to steal, kill, and destroy. And how tragic of us when we trade the goodness and the steadfast love and the faithfulness and the mercy of our Savior for what the enemy wants for us, uh, being, a, being a floating pig carcass in the Sea of Galilee. So I think, I think that's what Jesus is, is doing here. Is, and, and clearly that was one of the most concrete illustrations you could give. Uh, but two, what we see here is that there was a great cost to this man's deliverance. It's a great cost. If you were to add up uh, uh, the modern-day equivalent of, of 2,000 pigs running into the sea, the modern-day equivalent would be uh, half a million dollars, about 500,000 of somebody else's dollars that, that, that ran full sprint away from them and drowned in the sea. 
uh, a, sure, a secure financial future uh, uh, jumping off of a cliff, right? Somebody else had to pay for, for this man's redemption. And I think what we get here and what we can see is, 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 that, is that our salvation, Christ coming in and liberating us from uh, uh, the slavery that the enemy had in us, our sin, uh, and, 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 and death declaring its victory over Jesus, declaring his victory over us came at a huge cost to himself. It was somebody else's blood, somebody else's sacrifice that we get to go free. And the same with this guy. Somebody else in that town, town had to take a huge hit uh, so that he could be liberated and be set free. Uh, $500,000 worth of pigs. It's crazy. All right, verse 14, continuing. The herdsmen fled. Just as the pigs fled, they didn't have anything to do anymore because all their pigs died. And so now they flee and told it in the city and in the country. And people came to see what it was that had happened. And they came to Jesus and saw the demon-possessed man, the one who had the legion sitting there, clothed and in his right mind. And they were afraid, just like the disciples were actually more terrified once the storm was calmed than they were during the storm. These people were actually more terrified once they saw the crazy lunatic who lived in the caves. They were more terrified when they saw him actually clothed and sober-minded. This terrified them. So this, was, this is the impossible. A miracle just took place here. Clearly, there was someone here of great power. How in the world was he able to do what we were not able to do? 16, and those who had seen it described to them what had happened to the demon-possessed man and to the pigs. And they began to beg Jesus to depart from their region. Herdsmen lose their, their, all their pigs, all their financial future. Uh, they lose all of it. And so they go, rally the whole city, rally the whole countryside, say, hey, uh, this guy Jesus and, and 12 dudes arrived on the shore and all of this happened. You have to come see this. You have to come see this. There's nothing like I've ever seen before. And that crazy dude uh, who lives in, in the caves is now not crazy anymore. I don't know how this, how this happened. And uh, uh, upon seeing this, they all begged Jesus to leave. And, and as, I was, as I was studying this text, I was just wondering, why in the world would they beg Jesus to leave? They just witnessed a miracle, right? This dude was just set free, like a human being, someone made in the, the image of God. Why in the world would they want him to leave? And I would say the same exact reason uh, today people reject Jesus. Same exact reason our culture rejects uh, Jesus. Um, it's because this Jesus changes everything for the better. And unless you see the change that Jesus brings as liberty and freedom, you're going to see Jesus uh, coming and bringing you bondage and slavery. Unless you see uh, uh, your sin for what it truly is, as bondage, as slavery, and you're someone who needs to be liberated, if you see your sin as freedom, you're going to think Jesus is bringing change. That's why our culture is freaking out and rallying against the church. Like, like every movie now, uh, unless it's a Christian-made movie, Christians are like the villain, right? It's just the way it is. Why? Because freedom is being threatened. Change is being demanded. And if Jesus stayed in the region of the Gerasenes, Maybe more crazy stuff like that would happen. Maybe more lives would be changed. They were, they were in the presence of a power that they were not comfortable with anymore. And this freedom, this liberty, this is why Jesus came. We see in Luke 4, Jesus claiming uh, prophecies in Isaiah. He's Jesus in the synagogue teaching. He goes to Isaiah and he says, I have come to set the captive free, to proclaim liberty 
to the captive. John 8, if the Son sets you free, you will be free indeed. Galatians 5.1, it is for freedom that Christ has set us free. Stand firm, therefore, and do not submit again to the yoke of slavery. Christ comes to liberate. Christ comes to, to set free, to break the chains of sin and, and death and the demonic in our lives. That's what he's come to do, to give, offer us life and life abundantly, right? That's what he's come to do. But if we don't see ourselves and our sin for what it really is, then we think that he's coming to bring change. In a, in a while, back a couple years ago, Jen and I were traveling on the West Coast, and we were in a certain city that was known for, for freedom and for, for liberty and when it comes to a lot of things. And, and what, we, what I kind of felt as we were uh, kind of getting to know that city was just a darkness over that city. Uh, uh, just this idea that everyone in that city thought they were so free when in fact they were in bondage. That's what was so crazy is that as I was like, like for me, I was just like, man, this is just so, you can't go a block without encountering someone who's just fully addicted to drugs or, or homeless or, or, or asking you for money to get their next fix. Like literally, it was mind-blowing to me. But what was crazy is if you would ask those people, they'd say, we're, we're free. How dare you come in and say we need, we need Jesus? We're, we're, we're living the lives of freedom and, and liberty and there's no chains on us. When in fact, that a lot of those people were in bondage and in slavery. They just couldn't see it. And would God this morning, uh, man, open up our minds and our in the eyes of our hearts to see our sin for what it truly is. See what the enemy wants in our lives. So wherever Jesus goes, what we see as we've been going through the gospel of Mark is, listen, a response is demanded. The question that is continually being asked as we journey through the gospel of Mark is, who is this Jesus? You have to choose. And you either in your life you say, leave Get out of here. I want nothing to do with you. Or you, or you, or, or you bow at his feet and say, I'm, I'm with you. I'm following you. You are the son of the most high God. Jesus, I want to invite you into my life. You either ask him to, to get out or you ask him to get in. You invite him in. Those are your two choices. There is no just adding Jesus into your life. We don't see that option in Mark's gospel or even anywhere in scripture. Jesus says, if you want to save your life, you'll lose it. Anyone who comes after me has to deny himself, take up his cross, his instrument of death, and follow me. And we see that in a couple chapters later uh, in the Gospel of Mark, we're preaching at the cost of discipleship. That wherever Christ goes, there's a costly change that is demanded. And so the response of the, the townspeople was, Jesus, life was great until you showed up. Life was great, man. Sure, the crazy guy in the, in the caves and everything kind of creeped us out or whatever, but we, we had him controlled. He was in the mountains. You know, we kind of got used to that. We liked it. I had my uh, $500,000 worth of pigs, and they are worth far more than that crazy guy in the woods, right? Or in the mountains. And see, man, see, there was a financial hit. Jesus came in and changed everything. And the people are saying, look, everything was well and good until you showed up. We are not in bondage. We don't need your message of liberty. We don't need it. And we see in John 8 with that passage, famous passage of Jesus talking to the Jews who were starting to believe in him. And Jesus was saying, you're all slaves to sin. If you sin, you're a slave to sin. And the Jews are saying, we're children of Abraham. We're not slaves. We've never been slaves. What are you talking about? And Jesus, Jesus is saying, is there, if, you, if you sin, you're a slave to sin. And what Jesus is saying, there's two people in the world. Is what Jesus is saying. Those who are slaves to sin and those who have been liberated by Jesus Christ. Been set. Those, those, those are two options. Those who are in Adam, those who are in Christ. Those who are slaves to sin and death and those who have been set free. That's what Jesus is saying. And so for the townspeople to reject Jesus, they were just in bondage like the, the, the guy, uh, the demoniac in the caves. And so um, uh, my hope this morning is we would see our sin for what it really is and realize the freedom that Christ has to offer us this 
morning, see our sin for what it really is, and see Jesus for who he truly is, that he comes uh, to, to bring uh, power and victory and life in our life. So I'll conclude with uh, this last, these last couple of verses. Verse 18, as he was getting into the boat, so, so Jesus answers their request. He says, you want me to leave? I'll leave. I'll leave. So Jesus and the disciples are getting back in the boat, and the man who had been possessed with demons begged Jesus that he might be with him, right? The guy on the boat's like, whoa, 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 where are you guys going? Look, all the townspeople hate you, Jesus, right? They want you to leave, but I'm associated with you, right? I'm the one who caused all this mess. Because of me, the whole town has gone vegan, right? They, 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 they hate me. I'm the, how, do I, how do I make a comeback, Jesus, in, in my hometown of being the crazy lunatic in the, in the woods howling like a coyote every night? How do I make a comeback from that? So what I think, I think for, this, for this demoniac, was, I think there was great embarrassment for him, right? You tell me I, I, I got to stay here? These, these people know my story. I can't hide any secrets from them. They know. And one, I, I caused this whole, this, whole, this whole thing. And two, but, but here's what we need to know is that his request was a good request, right? Of course you'd want to go with Jesus. All of a sudden, there comes a day in his life where he meets Jesus, completely has his life forever changed. And some of, the, some of your stories, your testimonies here for sure, there just came a day in your life, boom, God grabbed a hold of your heart and your life, your, your, your story was forever changed. Your trajectory was forever changed. And this guy wants to stay with Jesus. He's like, hey, let's, let me hop on the boat. Where are you going, dude? You, you just set me free. And what's so crazy is, is verses 19 and 20, what we see here is the response of Jesus. And Jesus did not permit him, but said to him, go home to your friends and tell them how much the Lord has done for you and how he has had mercy on you. And he went away and began to proclaim in the Decapolis how much Jesus had done for him. And everyone marveled. And what's crazy here is uh, Jesus says yes to Legion, says yes to the uh, uh, townspeople, and says no to the guy he set free. And there's some of you who are, who, are, who, are, who are begging God for certain prayer requests, presenting your requests to him, whatever it may be, and, and, and the answer you're getting is, is no, or not yet, no, not yet. And that's when we trust in Christ and say, no, I have a better plan for you. It might be the most loving thing for Christ to do to say no. And, and Jesus tells this guy, and he says, no, go. What I have done to you, I now want to do through you. Church, this is, this is the gospel. This is how the gospel changes us, is whatever God has done to us, he wants to now do through us to others. We have been redeemed to redeem. We have been uh, rescued to rescue. We have been forgiven to forgiven. It's the indicative, the being. This is what has been done to us and the imperative. Now we go do this. Whatever God has done to us through the person and work of Jesus Christ, now we are called to go do that onto others. Jesus said, hey, there's a whole lot of people in, this, in this, uh, this region of the Gerasenes and in the Decapolis who are in just as much bondage and slavery as you. Go tell them your story. And what's so crazy here is, uh, is Jesus here doesn't, doesn't say, hey, you know what, wait, 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 wait. actually, uh, before you go and, and evangelize the countryside, you know what, we're going to do a year-long discipleship program. We're going we're to sit down, we're going to read Don't Waste Your Life by John Piper, uh, Basic Christianity by John Stott, and, uh, you know, and, and we're going to meet up at Starbucks 
um, uh, once a week and talk about this stuff. Pray for another. I'm gonna get. I'm gonna. I'm gonna help you memorize the Romans Road. It hasn't been written yet, but don't worry about it. I'll teach you it. And uh, and the four, the four spiritual laws. Okay. Uh, Jesus didn't tell him that. Jesus, Jesus basically said, "You have everything you need. Everything you need right now, as you are." And what what was that? It was a changed life. It was it was it was the testimony of the blind guy that's get, that gets healed. I believe in John eight where everyone's grilled, all the religious leaders are, are, are grilling this blind guy, and they're saying, what did Jesus do? Who is this Jesus? And he goes, I don't know. I was blind, but now I see it. It was because of Jesus. That's your story. Church, you got a story? Has Jesus rewritten your story? We're never going to know all the answers. We're, we're, we can study apologetics so we're blue in the face and we pass out, you know, on all the philosophy we're studying. Go tell your story. Go tell him what Jesus has done for you. Go tell him where you would be apart from his intervention and his grace in your life. Go tell him. Go tell him. Stop, stop worrying about, oh, I got I to gotta have all the answers. I got to memorize this. No, has he changed your life? Where you can sit across the table from someone without hope who does not know Jesus and say, listen, I don't have all the answers, but I do know Jesus and the hope that he brings, and I want that for you. And so here's the deal. I, I, I'm going to conclude with this, where in the past I would end this story with uh, a strategy or a call to, uh, uh, to evangelism, right? But here's the deal. Uh, evangelism flows naturally from a changed life and a changing life. It's not that just Christ comes and I was, I was, I was you know, once blind, but now I see. But, but he's continuing to, 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 to hone in my vision, to see life for all of its beauty, to see him for all of his beauty. And so my hope and my challenge here uh, this morning is, listen, is that it wasn't until this crazy guy left the darkness of the caves and brought himself into the light and the presence of Jesus that he was changed. And I know, uh, well, maybe I'm assuming, but I would guess that there's some people here who are still living in bondage. Uh, Whether it's a secret sin that you're not telling anyone, you're definitely not confessing to Christ, that you're at peace with, that you're not bringing to the foot of Christ, you're not experiencing that freedom and that liberty that Christ can bring from those chains in your life. Would you bring it to the foot of the cross this morning? Because here's the deal. The reason uh, uh, you're not doing that is probably because of fear of embarrassment, right? Fear of consequence, fear of embarrassment. But here's the beautiful thing. This is what Jesus Christ does to the story of, uh, of this demoniac. This dude's biggest embarrassment in his life. Imagine how, what could be more embarrassing than that? This guy's story. Jesus says, your biggest embarrassment is going to be your most effective witness in evangelism that I'm going to empower you to share with others. That your, your biggest regret, your biggest embarrassment is going to be your biggest opportunity for ministry in the future because what you're going to see and what you're going to proclaim is how I have the power to save. Amen. This is who I was before I met Jesus. This is who I am now. I don't, I'm not embarrassed. My Savior met me where I'm at. I'm, I'm unashamed because of who Jesus is. He's covered me so I can share that. I can bring that. But listen, listen, until you bring that to Christ and, and bring it to the light, confess it to him and, and to others if you have to, you're stuck in the cave and you're giving the, 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 the demonic a foothold and a stronghold in your life. You're not experiencing the victory that Christ has come to usher in. Why live in the caves with the, with, the, with the demonic when you can be in the light with Jesus and share your story of how awesome he is, of breaking the chains of bondage and addiction in your life? Would you trust today, maybe for the first time in your life, that this Jesus is mighty to save? Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we're so grateful. Who are we, Lord, that you would die for us? You'd send your son 
to, to be crucified and, and, and to bear the, the fullness of your wrath against our sins, Lord, so that we could uh, have uh, your song of victory be declared over us, victory from sin and the demonic and death, and we can live a life of freedom in you, Jesus. Thank you. We're so grateful for you. And so, Spirit, I just pray you come here in this moment, Holy Spirit, would you minister to the hearts of, the, uh, of your sons and your daughters? Would you help uh, them to, to see you, Jesus, for how, how truly powerful and awesome you are, but also to see how truly enslaving and wicked their sin is? And would we be a people who repent today, who turn from uh, uh, our sins and turn to you, Jesus, running full sprint away, away from the enemy and back to our Father's arms? And, and would we know that you're not running, you're not going anywhere when we come to you just as we are, covered in chains uh, and, and reeking of, of, of the destruction that our sin has brought us. We're running full sprint to you this morning, and we're running to your arms, Lord. And we thank you for your grace. Would you set the captive free today? We pray this in your name, Jesus. Amen.